word and, and make your way to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be in Philippians 1. And uh, we're going we're gonna to look specifically at verses 9 to 11. But I'm going to go back to the beginning and read through there. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day into now. And being confident of this very thing, that he who began that good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you, because I have you all in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, and that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So this is Paul's prayer. Um, some time ago, one of my children had gone through a first heartbreak. Any of you remember your first heartbreak? And I was concerned for him, and I was turning into my room one day, and he was in the shower, and I heard him singing at the top of his lungs. And I noticed this same song was playing often in his room, or whenever he was in the shower, we got one of those speakers in the bathroom, and I guess he runs it through his phone. And he was singing, so I stopped to listen because I was concerned for his heart. And I heard the, these words, and he was singing along with it as loud as he could. And here's what, here are the words to this song. It was a country song. And I know that when you're looking for a tutorial on prayer, country music probably isn't your first thought. But here's what I heard him singing. I haven't been to church since I don't remember when. Things were going great till they fell apart again. So I listened to the preacher as he told me what to do. He said, you can't go hating others who have done wrong to you. Sometimes we get angry, but we must not condemn. Let the good Lord do his job. You just pray for them. I thought, well, so far so good. Maybe he's on the right track. Then I heard the chorus. The chorus goes like this. I pray your brakes go out running down a hill. I pray a flower pot falls from a windowsill and knocks you in the head like I'd like to. I pray your birthday comes and nobody calls. I pray you're flying high when your engine stalls. I pray all your dreams never come true. Just know wherever you are, honey, I pray for you. <laughs> and I realized... He wasn't where I thought he was. So the guy that wrote, and the song gets worse. I, I'm not even going to tell you the other lyrics. But the guy's name is Jaron Lowenstein that wrote that song. 
And I think some of us can relate, right? Uh, <coughs> sometimes our prayers aren't always pure. But the Apostle Paul, he was a prayer. And he's, I don't know why, he's not, you think of Paul, you don't think of praying, but you should. He was a prayer. And as was his, his uh, MO, if you will, his common, his common introduction was always grace and peace, right? And he, he often would introduce his letters with a prayer for the recipients. He did this in Ephesians. He does it here in Philippians. He does it in the next letter, Colossians. He does it in 1 Thessalonians. He certainly does it in Timothy. His young disciple calls him a son in the Lord. He prays for him. And he does it in his letter to Philemon. So this is not unusual. Interesting thing to note, though. Go look at, and I encourage you to do it. Go look at all these prayers. They're not long that Paul prays. You will not find any mention uh, in his prayer. Paul never prays for anything physical in these prayers. Go look at it. He's not praying for Aunt Betty's ingrown toenail to get better. He's, instead, he's praying for heart issues, the big rocks, stuff that he knew would bolster these churches if these people could just get a hold of it. And if you'll look there in verse 9, I want you to note that Paul prays powerfully for one thing and one thing only. This entire prayer has a holy, singular theme and topic. There's only one thing Paul is praying for. And you can see it right there in verse number 9. And this I pray, he's fixing to tell you, that your, what's that word? Love. That your love may abound still more and more. So this is his prayer. And, and actually, and rest of verse 9 all the way through 11, the rest of the prayer is really just used to support and qualify that one request. And I'm just curious right here before we jump into this too deep, how many of you pray for love? I mean, I pray often that people would love me. But, but that's not what Paul's praying here. <laughs> you know, stop laughing over there. And the, they, they, they're laughing over here, the security people. Uh, <laughs> and I'm watching you too. <laughs> yeah, but do we pray that other people would love God and love each other more? If you're a parent, you probably do pray that your kids would love each other. Um, uh, Ellie had a birthday recently, this week, I think, 22nd. And I loved my wife's post um, so she actually she commented on Anna's post that we wondered when those girls were kids if they would even speak to each other as adults and now they're best friends um, and, and you pray that your kids love each other um, one of my children shocked me yesterday and said yeah um, so and so one of the other children texted me and told me he loved me. I thought, oh, I, I was choking back tears. That's the answer to We, as parents, we want our kids to love each other. Paul prayed that these people would love each other. And the rest of this prayer is just unpacking that. Why prayer? Why pray for love? Because it's the hallmark of our faith, isn't it? It's the one big thing. Uh, John 13, 35, by this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another love each other um, it's the most important expression of genuine real faith 
Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 13, Now abideth these three, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. D.L. Moody said this, he said, You can be a doctor and not love your patients. You can be a lawyer and not love your clients, but you cannot be a Christian and not love each other. Isn't that good? Uh, when I was a kid, my mom, my, mom, I, my mom was constantly singing to us and telling us stories. And she used to sing this one little ditty. She said, there's no one like a mother to heed your downfall when you are a convict behind a stone wall. I used to think mom thought I was going to grow up and be a criminal and end up in jail. But at least if I did, she would love me. And I think that was the point of the song, wasn't it, mom? And a mother, mothers understand this love, and it's natural for them. But I want to talk to you this morning about four marks of mature love. Four marks of a grown-up love. What, what, is, what does love look like when we, when we are really walking in it? How many of you have been married for more than 50 years in here? Some of you. How many of you more than 40? Okay. How many of you more than 30? That'd be my dear wife. And I look at all these hands. Anyone more than 20? Well, what about 10 or under? Okay. What about... Five and under. I think that's Anna and Joseph, right? How long have you guys been married? Oh, well, okay. Almost eight years? Oh, wow, that makes me feel old. So, so you know that, that even those of you have been married eight years, your love is very different today for each other than it was eight years ago, isn't it? I guarantee. And Bobby, I guarantee your love for your wife is very different. What happens? You grow up, right? Stuff that you thought were hills to die on, you look at those now and say, nope, I don't, I don't, have, to, I, I don't have to get upset about that. You, you've learned to lay your life down instead of laying down the law. You learn to be a decent person and to really put that other person first in your life. And so here, we're going to have these four marks of what it looks like when your love grows up. How many of you know that we could, we, could, we could use some maturing in our love for each other? Amen? And, he's gonna, and this is what he's asking. And really the only one little, and it's not much, but the one little hiccup in this whole letter, and I think that's partially where this prayer for love comes from, is these two ladies weren't getting along. And they were two solid gospel partners with Paul, and they were buttonheads. And I think this is where some of this might be coming from. So let's look at these four marks of mature love. The first thing I want you to see is it is a plentiful love. It is a plentiful love. And he says it right there in verse 9, if you got your Bibles, it says, And this I pray, here it is, that your love may abound still, in other words, it's already there, still what? More and more. All these are emphasis. It's like overflowing. That word abound there starts with the prefix epi. And, and that prefix epi in the Greek means to superabound. It literally means to overflow. And then he adds to it more and more. So there's two, two descriptive words here. Not only superabound, but more and more and more. Like, like a flood, if you will. That this love will just continue to overflow um, and abound. So here's a question. How do, you, how do you fill something up that's already full? Or what happens when you fill something up that's already full? It overflows. I remember in my uh, first church in Rhode Island, the hot water heater 
um, was on its last leg. And we had a baptism. It was my job to fill up the baptistry. And a hot water heater was on its last leg. And so I would just turn all the hot on all the way. And um, by the time it filled up, it was still cold, but it wasn't as cold. It was, I wouldn't even call it lukewarm. It was still pretty chilly. Well, what I, what I didn't know is two things. He got the, the pastor got the water pressure adjusted, and he got the hot water heater fixed that week. Um, so I, I went to my office and turned, a, turned on the hot like I always did. Didn't pay attention to how fast it was coming out. Fell asleep in my office on a Sunday afternoon. And uh, started to hear a noise, and it was the baptistry overflow, and I turned it off, and then I realized that you, it was so hot. And, and I was, it was full of water, and it was time for church to start, so I mopped it all up. And I'll tell you what, after the service was over and we went to baptize, those curtains opened up, and it just steam came out of there. <laughs> and we about boiled that poor kid that got saved earlier that week. <laughs> How do, you, how do you overflow something that's already full? You just keep the hose on, right? And that's the idea here, that we should, the hose of the love of God shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit should just, is continually flowing in our lives. That's, that's the point here. And who is Paul saying to love? You know, is he saying to love the world, as in John 3 and 16? For God so loved the world? I don't think so. I think Paul's very specific here. I think his specific target here is that they love one another. Loving God's people. Loving the people you're doing life with together. How many of you know it's easy to love strangers, but hard to love your family sometimes? Right? There's, there reminds me of the old poem. says, to live above with, or to live in love with saints above, oh, won't that be glory, but to live below with saints we know, well, that's quite another story. <laughs> And I think that happens sometimes, doesn't it? We butt heads. But I'll tell you what, in the first century, these people loved each other. And it was the hallmark of the Christian faith. Matter of fact, the historian Tertullian tells about the fact that um, the church was exploding in the latter first century. I mean, it was just, they were, and, and they didn't have uh, big, they had small house churches, but they were popping up everywhere. And they were impacting the culture. And Rome was getting a little nervous. And so they actually sent spies into these communities, these, these Jesus communities, these churches, to say, what, you know, what's going on? And one of the spies, Tertullian writes this, one of the spies sent this report back. And he said this, these, uh, these followers of the way, by the way, that's what the first church was called for a long time. They were called followers of the way. He said, these followers of the way are strange people. <laughs> he got that right, didn't he? He says, they're strange people. They speak of one named Jesus who is absent, but is expected at any time. And my, how they love him. And my, how they love one another. That was the report of a Roman spy sent into the early churches is that they're all about this guy named Jesus who's not even there, but they're expecting him at any moment. And, oh, do they ever love each other. So it is, it is a plentiful love. But also, I want you to see number two, it's a perceptive love. Look at the rest of verse 9. Look at the rest of verse 9. It's a perceptive love. He says this, And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more, but notice this, in 
knowledge and discernment. In knowledge and discernment. I like the ESV. The ESV, uh, and it's kind of built into the word knowledge here, but you don't see it in the English. But the ESV separates it, and it says in real knowledge. In other words, authentic knowledge and true discernment. Um, so this is a per, uh, perceptive love. Paul is qualifying what overflowing love looks like. I, I think what he's saying here, I want you to think of it as a river. He's saying this overflowing love needs some banks. How many of you know that when, when a river, oh, were you, anybody here in the flood of, what was it, 90 what? Four, flood of 94. We saw what happened when a river overflows its banks, right? It's not good things. People can be hurt. Lives can be destroyed. So Paul is saying this, this overflowing love needs some banks, right? And here's the banks. One bank is knowledge. And that's in your outline. One bank is knowledge and the other bank is discernment. Bank number one is knowledge, and bank number two is discernment. Notice what Paul says. And that word in is a preposition, and it starts a prepositional phrase. Prepositional phrases are relative phrases. It's, in other words, these two words relate to the command here, to the prayer of love. They're relative to love. Here's what love should look like. It should be banked in by knowledge over here and discernment over here. Your love and my love needs to flow between those two banks in order to be safe. The pure emotion without knowledge or discernment, I like to call it sloppy agape. And there's a lot of sloppy agape out there. And we, what we end up doing, if we're not careful, is we end up confirming people in sin, literally committing treason to King Jesus by our stamp of approval of other people's sin. That is without knowledge or discernment. So, so there are some of these banks that keep this love flowing in the right direction for its ultimate end, which is the glory of God. So Paul helps us to understand that. So knowledge and discernment will keep us from such a fatal, unloving extreme. So let's deal with the knowledge first, number one. That word is epigenosis. And again, epi means, means a lot of knowledge or, or uh, real knowledge, full, just overflowing knowledge, a super knowledge. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8, he said, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Knowledge puffs up. How many of you, how many of you met some smart, prideful people, right? Uh, but... What does love do? Love comes out behind that and builds up, right? It uses that knowledge for good. 1 Corinthians 13. Again, Paul says, man, if I have knowledge and understand all mysteries, but I have love, he says, I have not love. Paul says, I am nothing. Nothing. So, so these virtues of, of knowledge and discernment, they're nothing without love, but they govern they govern, they're the banks that keep the flow of love in the right direction. So I want you to keep that in mind. Love must have knowledge in order to be helpful. I'm going to say that again. Love must have knowledge, truth, 
in order to be helpful. Peter would go on to say in his epistle, you need to add to faith goodness and to goodness knowledge. Aren't there some things you need to know in order to live on your own as an adult in this world? What are some things you need to know? Amen, Linda. How to budget your money. How to cook your food or find a really good wife who will do that for you. <laughs> yeah, i tell you one thing you need to know, and I didn't know when I left home, how to wash your clothes. I had no idea when I went to college. I ended up wearing the same color clothes. They all were this greenish hue because I didn't know how to clean clothes. I put them all in the same thing together, and they bled into one another. It was a mess that first semester. There's a lot of stuff you need to know. There's some knowledge that we need to have that informs our love. So our love should be growing and it should be knowing. We need a growing love and a knowing love. You need to know right from wrong. Here's the second one is the second bank is discernment. So we need truth or knowledge on one side, but the other side we need this discernment. So what's why, why both descriptors? Here's why. Think about it for a minute. Knowledge informs, right? Knowledge informs you, while discernment transforms. Knowledge informs, but discernment transforms. Here's another way to look at it. Knowledge is the what. It's information, right? Knowledge is the what, Discernment is the how or how much, when, and where. It's wisdom. And wisdom is the proper use of knowledge. So you can have all the knowledge in the world. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13. And if you don't have any love, you don't have any discernment to go with it, that knowledge is pretty much useless. How many of you know when little kids, they learn certain things, right? But they have no discernment about when to apply those things. You with me? So discernment is that wisdom that understands the proper application of knowledge. You see how we need all of these things? So love is this overflowing torrent from the Holy Spirit shed abroad in your heart, but it needs these two banks of knowledge and discernment to direct it for the glory, ultimate glory of God through Jesus Christ. Do you see how this is all going to work in this prayer as Paul prays for these people? Now, this is an agape love, and here's, here's how, what it looks like with this knowledge and discernment. Paul says, love does not rejoice in iniquity, 1 Corinthians 13, but it rejoices in the truth. You will know the truth, that's knowledge, and the truth applied will set you free. That's discernment. Jesus said that, didn't he? You will know the truth, that's just knowledge, and the truth, when it's applied properly, will set you free. That's discernment. So here's a question for you. How much truth do you know that you're not applying? I know. This is where it hurts, right? It's where the rubber meets the road a little bit. How much truth do you know that you're not applying or willfully ignoring for the sake of someone you quote-unquote love? I see this so often. And it's so easy to do. Because we don't want to hurt people's feelings. I think Jesus said you'll know the truth and the truth will what? 
And when people are sinning, they are in bondage. We've got to get the right perception. We've got to know the truth, but we also need to know how to use that truth in discernment so that we can truly love somebody. Uh, uh, Solomon, for example, says in um, the Proverbs, he says to dads, he says, if, if you don't discipline your son, then you hate him. Well, that's a little, that's a little harsh, isn't it, Solomon? I mean, I don't hate him. I, I love him too much to discipline him. And Solomon says, no, actually, you don't love him enough. <laughs> if you really loved him, and this love, you've got to define it, means I'm looking out for his best interest. Then when he does wrong and sins, you would treat sin what it, like what it is, which is a toxic poison in his life, and you would discipline him severely so that he would think twice about ever doing that again. That's love. You see, that's the proper use of knowledge and discernment, channeling love for the betterment of your child. We understand it in those contexts. Verse number 10 begins this way, that you may approve the things that are excellent. Now that word that begins what's called a purpose clause. William, remember we just covered purpose clauses in Latin? Like, was it last week or the week before? But we covered that in class. And Latin has a very brilliant, clean way of introducing a purpose clause. And a purpose clause is designed to answer the why question. Why are you doing that? Why, why do we need this love to flow within the banks of knowledge and discernment? And he, said, he tells us there that you may approve the things that are excellent. So, so that or in order that you can approve these things. Why these banks of knowledge and discernment? So that we can approve, we can test out and show that they are true, excellent things. And excellence is always lined up with God's word. Now that word prove is a metallurgy term. Um, think of your rings on your finger. If it's 24 karat gold, how pure is it? 100%. It's 100% gold. I assure you, most of you are not wearing a solid gold ring, right? It's either 18 or 14 karat gold, which means there's some alloys and there's some other things in that metal, right? It's not 100. That's what this word prove means. It means to put it to the test and, and to discover what's in it. We are to test every, listen to me, we are to test every expression of our love against the clear reality of Scripture. I want you to hear that. We must test every expression of our love against a clear reality of Scripture. How does it feel versus what does the Bible say? And I know that's going to put us in some, we talked about it in D group this morning. It's going to put you in some strange circumstances. It's going to get uncomfortable. And that's why you've got to have this powerful love that is committed to the glory of God governed and guided by the banks of knowledge. You know what's right and wrong and discernment. You know how to use it. So important. A lady was in Walmart 
with her toddler daughter. How many of you have been there? And that kid was throwing a fit. Have you ever seen this in a grocery store? I mean, she was screaming, kicking her feet, just wanting her own way. And the mom was walking up to the cashier and she was saying, calm down, Susie. She wanted to spank her right then and there, but instead she was talking to her. She said, calm down, Susie. We're going to be home soon, Susie. Just be patient, Susie. This will all be over. And when she got up to the cashier, the cashier remarked, she goes, you know, I'm really impressed with how patient you're being with little Susie. And the mom looked at her and said, I'm Susie. <laughs> right? I'm Susie. You ever felt that way? Right? But we, we need to have this, this, this love. And that mom right there, she was proving the proper expression of love through knowledge and discernment. Knowing, knowing the right thing, but also knowing when to do the right thing and where to do the thing, when is proper. So love must be plentiful. And love must be perceptive. And third, love must be pure. And we see this in the rest of verse 10. Love must be pure. Look what he says there. He says that you may approve the things or prove the things that are excellent. Now notice this, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. Now, don't forget this. Here's another word that. Now Paul, the apostle, obviously never took an English grammar course, especially seeing there was no English at this time. But he, he has another purpose clause. The first one is that you may approve the things that are excellent. And now he gives you another one. So that or in order that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. This is a long haul journey. That discernment and knowledge are going to govern the love of God that's flowing through you. It's a long haul thing. It's going to be pure. So Paul's praying for one thing. What's the one thing he's praying for here, church? Starts with an L. Love. That's, all, that's his one theme. I'm praying for love. And I'm praying that your love is going to be guided by both knowledge and discernment. And that you will be sincere without offense. And I think that offense is against both a brother or sister and against Christ. Until the day of Christ. Now that word sincere is interesting. It's, it's two Latin words put together. And uh, it, it is sincerai. So you get sine and serai. And those are two words that literally means no wax. You say no wax? What's that got to do with being sincere? Well wax was a patch for stone or pottery. So if something was cracked or, or if, you were, if you were making a statue and, a, and, you know, and the nose fell off, you would use some wax and you would, you would put it back on and fix it and you could make it look like stone. The problem is when it gets hot, what happens to the wax? It melts, right? And so they would say if, if, if they were inspecting something and they saw that wax repair, they say this thing is insincere, Right? This thing has wax in it. It is not sincere. Right? It, instead, it's not sine serai. It is full of wax instead of having no wax. So this is the idea here. Romans 12.9 says this. Love without hypocrisy. That we should love each other without hypocrisy. We should be sincere. No wax. 
Matthew Henry said this, hypocrisy is to do the devil's work in God's uniform. It's pretty strong, isn't it? Are we doing the devil's work in God's uniform? Our love needs to be without wax. And the only way for that to happen, it's got to come straight from the source of love that is continually overflowing and bubbling in our lives, guided by both knowledge and discernment, steered to the ultimate glory of God. And then lastly, it needs to be a purposeful love. Look at verse 11. This love needs to be purposeful. Verse 11 says this, Being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness. Now notice that word being there. Um, Paul's always got a higher purpose. That word being filled is in the continual sense. Continue to be filled. Another time Paul would say in one of his epistles, I think it's Ephesians, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the continual filling of this love of God. And here's what it produces. Um, being filled with, and notice this, fruits. Is that singular or plural? Plural. The fruits of righteousness. And where do we get that from? Which are by, another preposition word, that tells you that the next thing is going to relate to the first thing. So this, this fruits of righteousness, they only come through one avenue. And that's through who? Jesus Christ. You're not going to get any of the outflow of righteousness anywhere but through Jesus Christ. And when we get the outflow of righteousness through Jesus Christ, it brings glory to who? To God, right? And that's Paul's ultimate theme here is that our superabounding love is to bring glory to God by being governed by knowledge and discernment so that we can be sincere in all that we do and through us and in us is produced by Jesus Christ this multiple fruits results of His righteousness in us. The purpose of love is ultimately God's glory. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 10, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. And if you can't do it to the glory of God, then don't do it. Again, knowledge and discernment governing this love. So being continually filled, abounding, overflowing, with the multiplied effects of an alien righteousness... That's Jesus' very perfection credited to our account. I want you to think about that. The old theologians used to talk about an alien righteousness, a perfect record that comes from outside of you. How many of you realize if that perfect record doesn't come from outside of you and I, we don't get one? Am I making sense? I see Jonathan nodding his head. If that perfect record has got to come from someone other than me or, or I'm not going to have it. And here's Jesus in this perfect record, and he gives us his righteousness, and it's credited to our account. Isn't that a beautiful uh, picture there? The Hebrew of this word uh, is zedek. It's a beautiful word, and it has three strokes. The Hebrew is a 
pictorial language, kind of like Chinese. I'm going to talk about Chinese in a second. But the Hebrew word has three strokes, and roughly they come together to make this word righteousness. And it is hooked, a fishing hook, a door or a gate, and the back of a head, which is the, the Hebrew idea is to follow. So this word, this fishing hook, is the idea of what is a fisherman doing? He is pursuing the fish, right? It's also used of hunting. It's to pursue, to chase after, to, 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 to go after something as your first priority. Um, the idea of this door or gate, narrow is the gate, right? Jesus said, I am the, I am the way, the truth, the life. It, it's this idea of pursuing life, pursuing a gateway to, to God himself. And how do we do that? The back of the head. We follow the back of the head of the Savior. We follow Jesus Christ. So the only way this righteousness is produced is by us pursuing a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? Now, you know, China is a very um, atheistic, God-hating nation. Uh, but it was interesting. I, I, I looked up, because as I was studying out the Hebrew, you know, Chinese, where they're very different languages, it's, it's a lot like Hebrew in that they're little pictures that come together to make a bigger picture, right? Here's, here's the picture of this atheistic nation. Here's, here's their word for righteousness. You ready for this? It's a man, and literally this, this person in the picture the way they would interpret that is us or me. So it's me, and in my hand, one hand is a, there's a spear, is another uh, um, picture next to the man, and then a hand. Right? So a man with a spear and an open hand, and guess what's on top of the man, over the man? Cannot make this up. A lamb. A lamb! So here is the man with the spear and in his own hand has pierced the lamb and yet the lamb is covering the man. And that is righteousness in the Chinese language. Wow, isn't that something? I'm here to tell you that the only hope you and I have of righteousness is if we are covered with the lamb of God. Amen? We need to be covered by the blood of the lamb with that spear, our own hand, our own sin, nailed him to that cross. And yet that lamb's blood covers us and God looks at that righteousness and says, you are free. You are completely perfect and set right with me. And this beautiful fruit of righteousness is now available to us as this love from the Holy Spirit is directed. And I know... Sometimes loving's hard. You have those people in your life that, by the way, God has strategically put them there that are really hard to love. And sometimes we're tempted to say, I got no more love for that person. I've been there. But here's the thing. The Bible says that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Paul says this love should superabound and it's constantly flowing. So if I got no more love for you, then apparently I'm hooked up to the wrong source. 
I'm out of fellowship. Because the love of the Holy Spirit is constantly flowing through me. And oh, I want to tell you something, brothers and sisters. The love of the Holy Spirit shed abroad in your heart will help you get over yourself. And boy, do we need to get over ourselves today. Amen? So don't tell me you have no more love. You've exhausted your love. This is the ever-flowing fountain of the Holy Spirit and God's love shed abroad through you, governed by discernment and knowledge to the glory of God, producing these fruits of righteousness, multiple fruits of righteousness that come through Jesus Christ, the Lamb who covers me. Amen? Yeah, you love those hard people because God loves you. And the Lamb covers you because He covers you. Your love can cover a multitude of sins for that other person. So our love should be growing. It should be knowing. And it should be showing. Growing, knowing, and showing. So I have a question for you. Do you pray for love? Are you praying that you would love others in this way? Are you praying that they would love others like Jesus does? You know, the second law of thermodynamics says that everything in this world is headed down. You leave it long enough, it's going to either degrade or need to be replaced. I think there's a spiritual second law of thermodynamics. The world and the flesh and the devil are very active today to pull us away from true north, from that north star that is Jesus Christ in the gospel, from that love that wants to bubble up and overflow in us, guided by knowledge and discernment to produce these multiple fruits of righteousness through Jesus Christ to the glory of God. And everything in this world is designed as spiritual novocaine to numb you to the effects of the gospel. And Paul here prays for love. We need to preach the love of the gospel to ourselves every single day. We need to counteract that pull by praying not only that I would love you, but that you would love others with that same love. And do know that I am praying for you but not like Jaron Lowenstein. No, I'm praying for you like the Apostle Paul, that your love would overflow and abound more and more, guided and directed by the knowledge of God in His Word through discernment, knowing how to use that knowledge winsomely and wisely, and that it would produce in you the fruits of righteousness through Jesus Christ to the glory of God. Amen? If you're here today and you say, you know what, I know me, and I'm not sure I know Jesus. Let me tell you something. The Lamb can cover you today as well. Even though your sin hung Him on that tree, and even though you might as well have had the spear in your hand, the Lamb still covers you. Because that's how God loves. All you must do is turn away from your sin and acknowledge it, turn away from it, and receive the gift that Jesus gave to you on that cross. And you will be righteous. The Lamb will cover you. Let's pray, shall we? And as we do, the worship team's going to come and we're going to sing a, a, a worship song that we might respond with our heart to the Lord.
Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that <laughs> we got no excuse to not love. There's no way we're out of love because this love from your Holy Spirit shed abroad in our heart is supposed to super abound, flow over and over and over, abundantly a constant source of agape love that looks out for the other person before I look out for myself. And it's governed by knowledge and discernment. It's not sloppy. It doesn't confirm people in their sin. It, it, it instead sends people to the Savior and your perfect law, the law of liberty, and helps to pull them out of bondage. Lord, may we be wise and pray together that we would not only do what is right, but that you would also help us to do what is best. And, and bring that discernment in. That we would pray for purity in our life and in the life of our church. And in our relationships. And that we would stop and thank Jesus Christ for being united to us. Producing in us these fruits of righteousness. May your word find fertile soil in our hearts. And Lord, if there be one here today who does not stand under that lamb. May you right now call them to Jesus. Give them the gift of repentance and faith. And may they put their faith and trust in Christ and make them new and experience that love before they ever leave this building. Do that for the glory of your name, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.